Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. How much sleep do teenagers really need? If they sleep all day as a teenager, how will that affect them as adults? Does the school timetable work for teenagers and their circadian rhythm? Educator, researcher and parenting commentator Nathan Wallace. Kia ora, welcome. Kia ora, Catherine. How are you? Good, thank you. This can be a tricky area for parents to navigate. Yeah, what is. are the experiences that you may be having with a teen and their sleep patterns? Well, I think the most obvious one straight away is that it changes by about two hours. So your circadian rhythms, you know, when you go to sleep and when you wake up. So um, if mine's, you know, 11 at night and wake up about 6 in the morning, that's my circadian rhythm. With teenagers, that will generally move back two hours. So if your kid used to have enough melatonin, the stuff that makes you go to sleep, you know, to fall asleep at 11, now they don't have that same amount until 1 o'clock. If they used to have enough cortisol, uh, to wake them up in the morning and get up at sort of 7.30. Now they don't have that same amount until 9.30. I mean, that's on average too. You know, the average for a teenager is two hours. Some will be more, some will be less. Typically, how does this affect when they sleep and for how long, especially when they've got a fit life around it? Yeah, that's right. They actually, the, um, the literature uses the metaphor that kids in New Zealand are often operating on Sydney time. You know, they're two to three hours out from the rest of us. So what that means is that we, for the research is showing that teaching teenagers for those first hours in the morning is not hugely productive. Whereas um, often, you know, between that three and five time when we've sent them home, um, that is a much more wakeful and productive time for them. So, you know, schools internationally, some of them have been in, um, experimenting with moving the school day to 11 to 5 instead of 9 to 3 to accommodate that um, grogginess in the morning where nothing's really getting done. It hasn't happened here so far. There's been some schools, I think, that have experimented with late yeah, starts, 10am starts. Wellington had the option. They published their results, Wellington High. So they had two streams going. The kids could continue 9 to 3, or the other ones could choose um, 11 to 5. And they showed quite you know, statistically uh, relevant results for um, improving those kids' outcomes. But it hasn't gone wider as yet. No, it hasn't. So what do you do to manage? Is it a case of thumping on the door in the mornings? Um, I recall one extreme example where someone was just oh, yeah. physically removed from the bed <laughs> yeah, onto yeah. the floor after much pleading. Yeah. How, think, um, how do you navigate the reality that, yeah. that, that, they're, that they're groggy in the mornings? Yeah, I think first of all, get rid of that worry about their work ethic and stuff because really how you're sleeping as a teenager has no relation to your work ethic as an adult. You know, as an adult, when I could sleep to four o'clock in the afternoon as a teenager, I can't sort of sleep past half past seven in the morning now. Um, so first of all, don't worry about their work ethic. The next part is, yeah, you do have to get them up for school. Um, so what the research tells us really clearly is kids that come from a home where the parents still regulate the bedtime uh, have a vast um, advantage over everybody else because they need some help with managing that circadian rhythm. If they're allowed to stay up all night Friday night and then they sleep all day Saturday and getting up at you know four o'clock in the afternoon and then they go out and rage all of Saturday night, they're not sort of going to bed until Sunday afternoon. 
you know, their their sleep's all out. So they get up on a Monday morning and they're wrecked. And you know, lack of sleep is a major contributor to mental health issues. Um, so you know, yeah. Having to, to that say, point, I was having quite a good time. <laughs> I remember it quite a good time. But there are yeah. ramifications. So yeah, so let's are. let's talk about uh, methods, perhaps, for regulating bedtime. Dealing yep. with the relationship you're having, the communication styles we've talked about yeah. previously, how do you win this one? Does explaining it help at all? Oh, not greatly with a teenager. They tend to be in their emotional brain, so explaining it, you know, <laughs> it's helpful for the other parent, but not that helpful for the teenager. I think what's helpful is to help them wind down for the last couple of hours. So maybe having a thing where you say, right, all your electronics are plugged in at half past nine or something, so that even if they ask, you know, staying up to half past eleven, they've got a couple of hours to wind down. Electronic screens and um, playing video games and stuff just keeps the brain too stimulated. So are you into your age-old negotiations here? Uh, you know, here, here are the rules. Yeah, no, negotiations. No, no gadgets after this time. Put them out on the bench, please. Yeah. How yep. do you, how do you get there, especially as they are reaching an age, senior high school, where mm-hmm. they are becoming increasingly independent? Yep. Some of it's actually just about establishing that right at the start, which I know doesn't help if you're halfway through it. You know, if you've um, if when, from the time the children have had tablets and iPhones and stuff, they've known that they plug them in in the kitchen at this time. That makes it a whole lot easier. Um, I think you've got to compromise too. Like with my kids. Um, you know, when I say compromise, it's within boundaries. I'm still going to make sure that they go to bed and get the sleep that they need. But, um, like, the compromise for me was that they were allowed to watch TV for those, those last two hours, which is still electronic stimulation, but it's just less stimulating than video games and, um, you know, um, social media. It can be a, a wind-down. Everyone needs yeah. that, that sense mm-hmm. of a wind-down before sleep. Yeah. Something as basic as getting the old... Um, you know, the, the ability to turn your lights down, the dimmer on the lights. Is that something Absolutely. practical you can do? Actually, even just covering up all the lights. You know, the kids have so many indicator lights and stuff on now that the more light there is in the room, the less melatonin you produce. And melatonin is what's sending you to sleep. So um, shut their curtains for them. Make sure they, you know, turn off all the standby lights. Make the room as dark as possible. Even having a sleep mask um, helps because, you know, the darker it is, the more of that sleep chemical you release. How much of it's also psychological? You don't want to I, mean, I frankly recall this, you don't want to go to sleep because then it's morning again, you've got to get up and go to school right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right Yeah, and this is the fun time, you're awake and it's your free time and no one's telling you what to do so yeah, I suppose a lot of it is psychological and they've got to manage all of that, you know the um, physical demands, the psychological demands As teenagers are playing competitive sports so have to be up at 5am and stuff so they're managing all of that some of them actually are probably better in better shape in some ways to manage their um, to, to manage their rhythms. It's the kids perhaps with a slightly less structured environment where they've got more control over it. Yep. You, you, you mentioned the sleeping all day. If mm-hmm. that's happening, if someone is having a big catch-up sleep on a Sunday, yep. is that a good thing? I do think it's a good thing. It's a tricky area in the research because they say sleep's one of the things that you can't really catch up on. But that's meaning like long term. You can, you have a little window of time to catch up. So yeah, catching up on Sunday on sleep that you missed out on Thursday, Friday and Saturday probably is a really good idea. So don't think that that's counterproductive. Even if they're winding down, you mentioned the mental health side of things, even if they're winding down, it's probably beneficial. Yeah, you just want to help them manage it. So if they're crashing at um, Sunday at 12 o'clock, they've gone to bed and haven't gone to bed on Saturday night, they're going to sleep and they're going to wake up, you know, really early hours of the morning on Monday morning and their circadian rhythm is going to be way out. So you've got to negotiate letting them catch up with sleep, but also helping them get back into a healthy circadian rhythm for that week. 
How do you negotiate that? Um, I think it's about being reasonable and listening to them and meeting in the middle, really. They want to go out and rage all night and, and go to bed at 7am. And we say, look, you know, that's not really going to work. NCEA, all of that, you know, the rest of the week. Um, so what's a compromise that we can make? You know, so I think if I'm liberal as a parent um, and work with them, then, you know, hopefully they're going to work back in the same direction. Can it get chronic? And what is the sign that it is chronic, that it is really affecting someone? Maybe yeah, like, yeah, it is one of the major contributors to mental health. So it's something that we want to watch. Um, when it becomes chronic, there's lots of things. I mean, see a doctor, obviously. Um, melatonin, you can actually, you know, get from the doctor as a supplement. So it's not a sleeping pill, but it's just increasing the amount of that sleep chemical. Um, that can work for a lot of people, just to take a melatonin pill before they go to sleep. Um, you know, you don't want your system to rely on that. So but we're talking chronic, where the kid's staying awake all night, then you definitely need some help. That's a, that's a risk factor for that child. Can you, can you work at the other end of the day by trying to get them up and moving earlier and try and drag that nighttime sleep time forward? I hear what you're saying. Yeah, the, yeah you're trying to manage that all the time, aren't yeah. you? It's about how you do that. You know, so like I, you know, going in and throwing a bucket of water over them to get them out of bed is not going to be good for your relationship. Um, saying, um, oh, I've made pancakes, you know, get up, we're eating pancakes, is probably a much nicer reason to get up. So, so get strategic. Yeah, get strategic. Just to be helpful rather than bully them into it or nag them into it, which seems to be the traditional approach. Um, why not help them into it? There's another situation too where you get diversity in the family. You've got your one teenager who's sleeping to all hours, but there's still yep. everyone else getting up and about in the meantime. Mm. Is this a case where you do need to cut some slack and yep. perhaps there are exceptions for kids who are at different ages and stages? Yeah, and different temperament types too. You know, um, I can think of one of my children that has always been a night owl. But you know, you'd go at, up at eleven o'clock at night and so um, to be, you know, turning off lights and stuff. This is even when they were tiny little. And um, you know, this particular child would always go no night. Um, you know, was always awake. Um, so you had to manage that. She wasn't the eldest. She couldn't let her stay up later than everybody else. But you know, she's an adult now and, and like works in nightclubs and you know very much works a night shift job. But you could see that from the time she was little. She always had a circadian rhythm that was a bit of a night owl. So you've got to work with that. It is uh, the case again, as you say, that it is cutting slack and it is working with it rather than trying to work against it. Here is one texter saying we have a 9pm uh, we have 9pm as device o'clock right now as year 10 exams are on. All right. devices get plugged in in the kitchen. End of story. Yeah. As you say, best to start that at yep. the beginning of high school. Mm -hmm. And then you're not trying to make a change later on. Yeah, there's a real link in the new research around the link between anxiety and depression and devices for teenagers. And basically what that tells us is that if they have two hours a day where they function without a device, so if we've always said, right, you plug the phone in at five o'clock and you don't get it back until seven o'clock, um, and then you can have it for the evening, and until you plug it in to go to bed, if they've always had two hours without that, that seems to sort of shield them from that being in this risk group of anxiety and depression. On that question of anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. are we seeing a link to late night device use, whether or not it's impacting on sleep and those mental health outcomes? We certainly, certainly see a link between sleep and mental health outcomes. Um, it's not as strong in the research that it's the, the, um, the, the technology that's keeping them awake. I mean, like you say, they've just got to go to school the next day and this is their um, free time. I think teenagers for a lot of time have been awake at this time of the night, even before they had technology. 
they're reading under the covers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing too. I made all my my kids plug the cell phone in at like nine o'clock at night, just like that texter said. Um, but now my kids are adults. They told me they just had a backup cell phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've got to be really thinking one step ahead of them all the time. You, you've got to get into that Wi-Fi thing that an emailer sent us. You can actually right. sort of control areas of the house where Wi-Fi operates so yeah. that you can be doing your business late at night when you should probably be sleeping too, but yeah. you can just cut the kids off. Right, yeah, ban. Yeah, I like that. How mm. much is necessary and how do you know? How long do they need to sleep? Not just timing, but how long? Yeah, they do need more sleep than an adult. There's so much change going on in the teenage brain. It's, you know, it's, um, it's just phenomenal, the amount of growth and what's happening. So um, they do need more sleep. But for each kid, you know, research only deals with this imaginary average, gets 100 individual people's results and puts them all together and divides by the same number to pretend they're all the same. So, you know, I can only, you as the parent have to work out how much sleep your child needs. The, the research is only a guideline. But, you know, if we need eight hours as an adult, generally a teenager's going to need 10 hours. And then you adjust from that according to your teenager. How often do you see or hear of instances of oversleeping, which is unbelievably to me, now become a discussion point as, as a risk factor? Can it sometimes perhaps be indicative of another problem? Yeah. If you're getting into extreme cases where the person is just not wanting to get out of bed, then that's about running away from the rest of the world. That's not just a sleep issue then. That's about um, escapism. So, yeah, certainly you're not supposed to sleep all of the time. So um, you have growth spurts as a teenager where you might have a week where you sleep a whole lot, but if it's chronic and it's ongoing, then it suggests you know depression. So that's what needs to be addressed, not the sleep so much. Where we're at right now is particularly challenging because people are studying for exams. Yeah. And that brings in the procrastination, the procrastination question. Yeah. Um, pretty challenging timetabling. Yeah. Because the research says one thing, I'll let us teenagers get eight to ten hours sleep, but then we have an exam system that says if you want to get into med school, then you need to be studying until two o'clock in the morning. So in some ways the teenagers, um, you know, they have to manage all of that. So we've got the ideal of what the research tells us, and then we've got the, you know, the um, commitments that teenagers have nowadays. And if they want to achieve really highly, um, yeah, they just don't match very well. So if you are right now trying to manage your high schooler through their exams that are underway. Yep. Is there a lesson in what we've discussed today that in some ways they will probably work out their own pattern, if it, even if it makes no sense to you, yep. they may well be getting into peak concentration time at a time that doesn't make sense to you? That's right. And you try and follow that and support that and gently guide that because you asked all the parent and you do, you know, you know stuff and you've got, you can contribute. Um, but yeah, helping the child to find their own rhythm, I think it's going to be the most helpful. How early does this change kick in with sleep? You see it happen in little, I mean, it doesn't just sort of generally kick in one day. You see it happening, sort of sneaking up. They just start to sleep in a wee bit longer. You know, your child that used to always be up, you know, at eight o'clock every morning, um, doesn't wander out until nine o'clock, um, half past nine. Um, and then the next week they're back to the normal. So it comes in little, you know, pockets. It creeps up on you. And yeah, and and again, we're not seeing any indication apart from a few experience uh, experiments of the school system shifting. So they're just everyone yeah. is just learning to navigate. The whole area of sleep is really interesting because we still don't, in the big picture, really know what it's about. You know, when when nature has evolved us to for really purposeful reasons, we spend a third of our life in a coma. 
that doesn't really make sense. There's lots of um, examples in nature where you don't have to go into a coma. You know, birds often, half of their brain goes to sleep at a time. Are they um, big nappers, teens? And by that I don't mean sleeping until four. Right. No. Are they any good at the craft of I've got I've got a commitment tonight or I've got training tonight, I might have a quick kip. They're not really particularly noted for it, are they? No, they're not. I mean, I couldn't do that as a teenager. I was, you know, well into adulthood before I could lie down in the afternoon and have a sleep. Which is interesting because it does seem to be more the natural circadian rhythm. You know, lots of European countries have a siesta where they break for a couple of hours and then they sort of work later into the evening, but they break during the day. When we put people into caves for research to find out about circadian rhythm and take away night and day and watches and time and see what natural circadian rhythm they fall into, they tend to fall into that, where they have a siesta in the afternoon, they go to bed at about, um, you know, not knowing what the time is, they'll go to bed about 7.30 at night, um, it 7.30, 8.30, and then sleep quite solidly until about 12.01, and then get up and be have a, um, a wakeful period in the middle of the night for a couple of hours and then go back to bed at like three to six, seven and lightly sleep and dream. That tends to be the natural circadian rhythm that all people fall into. So the takeout from today is the change is going to happen, their bodies are going to do this, roll with it, mm-hmm. work, yep. work with it around the edges and particularly target trying to get a wind down at night, maybe yeah, yeah, by getting the devices the hell out. Is, that's right. Yeah. Just help them to manage their own circadian rhythm. And don't panic. They will get up and get to work on time when they're a good, responsible yeah, that's nine right. to five yep. citizen. No connection. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> if right. If that's going to be their life anyway. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Nathan. Wonderful. Morris. Good talking to you, Catherine. Cheers. Bye bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.